Welcome to this month's Education Portal Roundtable. This month, we're speaking about body image, and I'll be hosting, and it is a pleasure to be joined by Shannon Beer. So welcome, Shannon. Thank you for having me. Speak to us a little bit about uh, your your interests, Shannon, and what you've been up to over the, the past uh, few years. Yeah, so I guess I have been um, coaching and sort of working on more of the body image side of things after really recognizing that the flexible dieting approach wasn't working for a lot of people. And I actually remember having one client in particular who was very much into her powerlifting, like training for strength, but also was very set on reaching a specific goal weight, not for the purposes of the sport, but just for her to feel better in her body. And we were like putting out all of the stops with, um, you know, diet breaks and calorie hoarding and all the rest of it. And really not getting anywhere. And that inspired me. I was like, what's going on here? Like, there's more to this than, you know, simply flexible dieting. And I couldn't really figure out why this goal was so important to her. Um, so I began looking into the research on dietary restraint, which is how I found out more about body image. Um, so I went down that little rabbit hole, which turned out to be a whole big thing. And I guess just through the content that I've been putting out online and meeting with different research labs, um, I ended up putting together a course on body image for coaches to help them with their clients, um, which has actually been tested empirically. So we've got a research group at the University of Toronto who um, are very much like very close to finalizing, just analyzing all of the data now. But it seems that okay. the course itself has been very helpful for um, not just like teaching people about body image but also changing some of the important variables that we were looking for um, such as like fin ideal internalization and weight mm -hmm. bias and those sorts of things so yeah it's been really um, interesting just following you know where mm -hmm. the research goes and what people are struggling with and figuring out best ways to help with that that's great I'd love to return to that point you brought up about the course actually being tested I'd love to 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 circle back to that so maybe we can table that for for later um all sounds really really cool it sounds like yeah you've stuck to your guns and yeah that rabbit hole just seems to be getting deeper and deeper um so let's start off with a general discussion on body image so we know body image is a very important discussion point in the fitness industry but probably underappreciated by a lot of people and i think at times um, people may be reluctant or a bit hesitant to even speak about it. So Shannon, can you just briefly describe body image itself? What is body image? And from a coach's perspective, you know, why should we care about body image and its implications? Yeah, so to start with a definition of body image, your body image is simply about the way that you perceive your body and the thoughts and feelings that you have about your appearance and then the things that you do in relation to those thoughts and feelings. So in the context of the fitness industry, a client's nutrition behaviors or movement behaviors are often an expression, a behavioral expression of their body image. And it can be significant because every single person has a body image, right? Whether it's got a mixture of 
of negative components or positive components. Everyone has a body image. And I think it's really important for us as professionals to understand how someone's body image can play a role on their motivations for wanting to engage in movement or wanting to address their eating behaviors, because it then can dictate the way that we go about that, in that we want to ensure that we're cultivating healthy sort of practices and a healthy sense of self alongside some of the changes that our clients are seeking to make. And as you say, it can be something that's very difficult to talk about, not only because some individuals be unaware of what body image is and, you know, their own sort of body image, how that shows up in their life, but also because a lot of the behaviors or thoughts around our appearance are often like endorsed by the industry itself so some of the expressions of that are egocentric in that we feel good for being super consistent with our training right and it's like okay at what point does dedication become disordered and those are some conversations that can be tricky to navigate but I think are very important conversations to be had yeah that makes complete sense i think you brought up a good point about a lot of our perceptions being influenced by what we might be seeing on social media um do you feel like that's become more pronounced over the years yeah i mean it's not just my opinion there's like a, a lot of research to um suggest that the role that social media plays and just like media in general um can be quite significant in that it's one of the sources in which we become exposed to appearance ideals, which have been shifting over time. So traditionally, for like women in particular, it's more about being um, super thin. And, and um, now what we're seeing is the rise of like the muscular and lean ideal, which is typically been what the men have been exposed to, right? It's all about being big and muscular. Um, but those ideals themselves are becoming more and more extreme. And you can even see that in like the realm of bodybuilding, right? What was considered pro maybe 10, 15 years ago compared to now, there's a significant difference. And when we are exposed to these images, if we internalize them, which isn't necessarily like a conscious decision, it's something that um, can happen over time, when we experience like a discrepancy between what we think we should look like and how we currently look, that can motivate a range of different behaviors that can lead us down a bit of a slippery path. Um, and that's something to be very mindful of. So I think social media is, yes, definitely a big one um, and something to be aware of if your feed is constant you know you're constantly exposed to um these extreme body types which mm -hmm. you know when our, we're based in the industry it kind of almost becomes normal you're like well it's not that extreme like i know loads of people that look like this but when we think about that in the context of the real world mm -hmm. we are still talking about a minority of the population and potentially some people with genetic advantages and so sure. on so it can be very easy to lose that perspective when we are fitness enthusiasts. And I think that's something to be mindful of. Yeah, I agree. And often tied into this conversation are disordered eating habits. And from my observations, like what I've noticed is that people who tend to exhibit body image concerns also present with some disordered eating habits. So is there a link between body image and eating disorders? Right. Does one predict the other? Um, can someone have body image concerns, for example, without having disordered eating? 
and vice versa. What are your thoughts on that, Shannon? Yeah, someone can have body image concerns and that doesn't necessarily manifest in disordered eating, which I think is really important because when we're considering reasons why we may want to address body image concerns and strive towards a positive body image, it's important that we're not just talking about eating pathology as the only adverse outcome. Um, we also see you know, how that can impact our quality of life and our well-being in terms of our psychological well-being. Um, so there are very, I guess, compelling reasons to address a negative body image outside of just the implications for eating. But you are correct in that body concerns and disordered eating can often go hand in hand. And in fact, body dissatisfaction is one of the most reliable predictors for the risk of onset of eating disorders. So there's certainly a link there. And it's usually because people who are unhappy in how they look tend to then go on a diet to change that, right? Because we've all bought into the idea that if we're not happy about our bodies, then our bodies are the problem. And those are the things that needs to change rather than seeing that as actually confidence being more of a frame of mind rather than an actual physique and that's probably an important point to highlight is that body image concerns aren't a look so it's not the case that all fat people have body image issues and all muscular and lean people don't you know because I think that sometimes that can be um, a bit of an assumption whereas there's a difference with weight stigma that's a slightly different thing but body image concerns can affect people of all shapes and sizes so that's certainly something to be mindful of and sometimes those people who have like the objectively you know most muscular and like lean what we would consider ideal physiques can also be struggling with body image concerns so with the risk of um or the tends to be like that pattern of having a body image concern and then turning towards high levels of dietary restraint. Um, that's what we tend to see happening. And that can lead to the onset of some of these more disordered eating behaviors. Yeah, I've definitely noticed um, some of those points that you mentioned just through experience, uh, working with a lot of aspiring bodybuilders in the past i've had many consultations where people seem to be embarking on a bodybuilding journey to improve body dissatisfaction uh, arguably doing themselves you know a long-term disservice and that's that's a conversation i've learned to navigate over time for sure and i think the best um point of call there is to first address these underlying um, issues or concerns, whatever they may be, before obviously taking it that one step further. If the client um, does want to compete, and if they meet the criteria that you know we have set for certain um, clients who do want to embark on that journey, it's not a matter of just putting everyone um, everyone through it. So, whilst we're on this point, um, I have worked with people in the past who and still do, who may present with some disordered eating habits. Uh, so does, does, does that lie on a spectrum? Like they might, they might not be clinically diagnosed as having an eating disorder, but they may have some disordered eating, eating habits. Uh, is it, is it, is it a spectrum? Like, how does that, how does that work? Yeah, disordered eating is often like a bit of a gray area where it's not quite 
clear cut as to what constitutes as disordered eating. Like I think one definition is just that it's unhealthy eating behaviors without meeting the criteria for an eating disorder. And of course you've got the DSM, but then there's sort of that, well, at what point do we cross that threshold? Um, so it is often conceptualized along a spectrum where you've got you know healthy eating and exercise on one end and a good body image all the way towards um, what we'd consider clinical diagnoses of like anorexia, bulimia, binge eating disorder. And in the middle, you've got things like weight or shape preoccupation. So when someone is um, engaging in like high levels of self-surveillance and keeping tabs on how they look, whether it's that's through like um, weighing themselves, checking their body, comparing themselves to other people, those sorts of behaviors can tend to maintain some of the concerns that we have about our body. Um, as well as things like fasting, you know, at what point does fasting become problematic? At what point does steroid usage become problematic? So those are some of the behaviors that um, fall within that spectrum, uh, that spectrum. And I think that that's something to be mindful of as well is as we engage in these pursuits of improving our nutrition or training in a certain way, that there's often like a, a bi-directional relationship and that risk needs to be managed throughout the course of um, whatever it is that you're trying to achieve with a client so it's not just the case that oh I screened this person and they're all good um, let's go and then never sort of checking in again it's something to be mindful of as you can move along that spectrum at any point given the things that you're engaging in as well as like life circumstances and so on so I think that that's something to be um, very aware of is that these things can change over time Okay. And you, you brought, you brought this point up earlier. So you mentioned, uh, you briefly mentioned the, the implications of, of dieting and, and weight loss intervention. So how does everything that we've spoken about tie into the attempt to, to lose weight? And the first question I have for you um, is, is, is it accurate to say that weight loss diets don't cause eating disorders slash body image concerns? Would that be an accurate statement? I think any statement like that is inaccurate in the sense that there's always some nuance. So it's inaccurate to say weight loss diets don't cause eating disorders, but it's also equally inaccurate to say that they do, right? There's a little bit more that we need to unpack here. Firstly, like, what do we even mean by a weight loss diet? Because the, the way that we go about things is going to have a bit of an impact on some of these outcomes that we're hoping to avoid, as well as why is this person engaging in this pursuit in the first place? So what we tend to see is that it is possible to lose body fat in a way that doesn't increase one's risk of developing eating pathology, but it's usually... A, it, it depends on the amount of weight that someone places on that. So again, coming back to the motivation behind it, is someone trying to lose weight because their appearance is a very important part of who they are? Or is this person maybe concerned about their health and they associate the fat loss with health improvements? Well, let's see, you know, there's a different, there's a big difference there in terms of what we can do with that. And what we see from the research is that appearance related motives for engaging in any sort of eating intervention or exercise 
exercise intervention, those tend to be unsustainable motives in the long run in that they're insufficient. So it's not the case that you have to totally disregard your feelings about your body or your desire to change that, but be willing to approach your health in a slightly different way, whereby the physique change is not the priority. It may be a welcome side effect of actually changing some of the behaviors, um, which is why a lot of clients find it very helpful to identify like their values at the start of a coaching intervention and think about, okay, why am I bothering to do this at all? You know, because I could choose just to stay exactly the way that I am. Why is it important for me to be more consistent with my movement or to um, change some of my eating behaviors? And with some clients, what they say is that, you know, my concerns about food and my body get in the way of me being present in my relationships because I'm always worrying about what I'm going to eat. So they value connection. And it's about how do your goals here help you to live more in accordance with that value of being connected to other people and being more outgoing um, and using those as stronger sources of motivation whilst potentially addressing appearance related concerns, depending on where the client is starting. So it's not the case that all weight loss diets will result in eating disorders, but it's also not as clear cut as saying that they don't either. Right. Thanks for that. And welcome, Mac. Hello, everyone. Um, good to be here. Thank you, sir. So, so far, Mac, we've we've had a general discussion on body image. We've spoken about its importance in the fitness industry. We've also spoken about the link between body image and eating disorders. And what we just spoke about then was the implications of, of weight loss intervention. So I wanted to move on and potentially speak about some practical uh, applications for body image improvement, but Mac, did you have did you have any specific questions you wanted to to ask Shannon? Yeah, I did, but we might be better off for us to pass them for now and come back okay. to them. Um, it's up to you. You let me know. That's so cool. That's the cool. key questions that I wanted to talk about is addressing the idea of working on your body image, meaning that you're letting go of your desire to you know, improve your physique or change your body composition in some capacity. That was the first one. The second one was addressing the conundrum between body image avoidance and uh, over-evaluation. So things like body checking, because it seems like you're kind of screwed either way. If you avoid your body, mm. avoid checking your body, then that's problematic. But if you're constantly checking and reviewing, which is obviously something that is encouraged in a lot of diet interventions or coaching styles, you know, do your do your photos, let's take your measurements, you know, do when you weight, and then you're like, I'm on a fat loss diet, so you're in the gym, or you're like, I'm in a gaining phase, and you're like, oh, yeah, double bicep bra, and like selfies, and progress photos, and things like this, so yeah, I think that was the sort of thing that I wanted to cover, so it's up to you whether you think we should attack them now, or pass them for later. Well, that's a good question, actually. Yeah, let's, let's tackle it. Let's do it. Yeah, with the improvements, you know, like how do we practically address body image? Because at the core of it is reducing the amount of importance that someone places on their appearance, right? It's not necessarily about loving every part of yourself, but actually just kind of caring a whole lot less. So Mac, you're asking, how do we help someone to reduce their body checking behaviors whilst not having that become a form of avoidance? So there's a little bit of a difference there where body avoidance isn't just about 
avoiding how you look like seeing your reflection in the mirror or things like that but it can also be about avoiding certain situations where you feel like your body is going to be exposed so the way that that's typically addressed is through gradual exposure so it's just about asking your client you know what do you feel like you can't currently do because of your concerns about your body? So some clients will say, you know, I really want to wear a crop top in the gym, but I don't feel confident enough to do that. So that would be right. Okay. So that would be like a behavior then that becomes a goal um, of coaching. Okay. I want to help this client become confident enough so that they can wear what they want to wear, you know, wearing shorts in the gym when I don't like my legs, that kind of thing. And the the way that you would address those avoidance behaviors is just asking the client what it is that they would like to be doing differently and having them rank those behaviors as to okay this is slightly scary this is like really scary I do not see myself doing this anytime soon and they put them on a scale and you can start with the ones that are challenging but not totally overwhelming so maybe I don't feel comfortable um, wearing a crop top to the gym but I can wear something that's a little bit more more form fitting than normal you know that might be a step down that they're ready to tackle um, before they move on to more challenging things but if you're going to do that it's also important to help a client manage anxiety around that that they may be feeling so it's not enough just to set those goals because of course we're still going to experience those reactions where we feel very nervous about doing the things that we would like to be doing um, and that's where some of the, the more body-based practices like um, slowing down using the breath those can be really helpful in those circumstances. Um, but as Max sort of alluded to as well, usually working on someone's body image would involve reducing body checking behaviors because most people do not realize how often they check their appearance, whether it's taking photos of their physique, walking past a mirror and flexing like every opportunity. And those behaviors can be problematic because they serve to reinforce the idea that it's important to tightly control how you look. And they can be a form of reassurance checking, like I'm just checking to see if my abs are still here, right? Which is maintaining some of that preoccupation, which you're seeking to reduce. Um, so those would be more about addressing a negative body image. But I actually think that the promotion of a positive body image is a more important goal in the context of coaching, because I think it's something that is more achievable it's more on the protective side of things and when you're addressing some negative body image cognitions those sorts of things that can be very difficult to do if you do not have additional skills as a coach so if you're not trained in like cognitive behavioral approaches it's going to be very difficult to navigate that area but what we can do are things like seeking to increase a client's body appreciation or their functionality appreciation those would be some ways that we've seen interventions in the research um, that can be very effective. For example, there is the Expand Your Horizon intervention, which is a writing-based task. It takes 45 minutes to complete. It's delivered in three sessions, 15 minutes long each, and it doesn't require um, a person there to deliver the intervention. It's simply a writing-based task. And that has been replicated in different demographics. Um, the improvements that we see in terms of body satisfaction are really 
impressive given the brevity of the intervention, which means that that is a very sort of easy win, which you do not have to be skilled to deliver. So it's those sorts of interventions that are probably going to be most useful within the context of the fitness industry, because you do not need to be a skilled practitioner in order to do those things. And you can help clients with that, um, even those who would consider themselves to have a more neutral body image, because having a positive body image, striving for that appreciation, that respect, that honoring of your body's needs is adaptive and beneficial to our quality of life above and beyond simply a, a neutral body image. And it's possible to be dissatisfied with your body and still appreciative of what it can do for you. So again, that seems to be a much more um, feasible way of helping someone to improve their body image rather than going in for the most difficult parts that can be really challenging to change is actually focusing on increasing appreciation for the body and for what it can do for you so those are just some thoughts that came to mind yeah very well said and i have a follow-up question so does does body checking and somewhat neurotic eating habits in the short term have to impact long-term body image health? So this is coming from the perspective of someone who, you know, coaches bodybuilders to the stage. And, you know, some of these things that we're mentioning are somewhat part of the process, right? Body checking is, is part of the process, but it's done in the short term for a purpose, right? Does that have, does that always impact long-term body image health? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Really, what I'm getting at here is can the journey or the process of bodybuilding be reconciled with all these things you're speaking about that are so important that are encompassed by you know, body image health in general? Yeah, I do think it is possible to engage in bodybuilding in a way that isn't detrimental to body image in the long run with a lot of like precautions and care and consideration taken place so that would probably involve you know like what you were sort of suggesting at the start is assessing where someone's at before beginning that you know if there are major red flags and of course okay this is probably not an advisable thing to do but as you say part of the sport is you're literally getting judged for how you look, you know, that is the nature of the sport. You have to train in a way that is physique oriented. You will be checking in in terms of measurements, you know, stepping on the scale, taking physique photos. And I think it's really important to, for those people in particular, to have a very careful um, off season in the sense that it's usually the post show period that people notice a lot of these things coming to a head and you know having some difficulties with feeling in control around food or wanting to hang on to that stage level of leanness even though you go into it with the acknowledgement I know this isn't healthy to maintain long term people of course are complimented on how they look and that's part of the problem is this positive reinforcement you know some people may win right and they associate the success with how they looked at that point in time but there's also the side of bodybuilding that can be a whole lot more about mastery um about your own personal progression about seeing bodybuilding as an art form um and i think it is possible to do that in a healthy way but probably would require active work on 
body image to as a protective factor you know if you're starting off with high levels of satisfaction appreciation and um, body image flexibility and you've already got those skills I would hypothesize that it's less likely that you would um, end up with you know some of the more negative consequences that we're hoping to avoid but the problem being is that most people would not go out there and actively work on their body image for the intentions of having a easier time with competing um, and I maybe that ties into what Mac was suggesting is that idea that working on my body image is about letting myself go you know it's kind of seen as oh well I couldn't achieve the weight loss I couldn't achieve the physique goal so I've just given up and I guess the only thing I can do now is work on my body image um that's certainly not the case and it can be very difficult to help clients to see that but I do think that psychoeducation around what body image is how it shows up in our lives as well as what a positive body image actually is in that it's not about um, letting yourself go it's about taking care of your needs so Funnily enough, the research indicates that those with a more positive body image are actually more likely to engage in health-seeking behaviors because when you respect something, you take care of it. And that's the same thing about ourselves. When we have self-respect, well, guess what? That means that I want to put nutritious foods into my body because it supports my health and it enables me to get more out of life. I have more energy, you know, and I, I want to prevent disease. And I really enjoy my movement because I found an empowering form of movement, which is about celebrating what my body can do. And I need my nutrition to support that. So I have to eat a sufficient amount of calories, you know, and putting too much of the foods that don't make me feel good into my body doesn't support these goals either so that when people can come to understand that I do see changes in someone's motivation like okay now it seems relevant and I can see the benefits of doing this so I think clearing up some of those misconceptions about what a positive body image actually is and helping clients to see how it can be conducive to the goals that they're trying to achieve um, helps to reduce a lot of those barriers to doing the, the actual work yeah I I completely agree. And I'm on the same page with a lot of those points. And Mac, just before we, um, I give you the mic, uh, I think you mentioned cognitive behavioral therapy. And, you know, I think learning about that and motivational interviewing has had such a massive impact on my ability to not just screen potential competitors, but get them into a position where I think, yes, they are less likely to come out of the bodybuilding process with uh, disordered eating habits and body image concerns that last long term and it's also helped navigate the the process itself the comp prep and that post competition period which like you said Shannon is where a lot of clients are susceptible especially if they if they associate success with a certain body composition etc so very good points um very well said mac what did you want to touch on yeah, I, I loved it, everything that I was hearing there. And one thing that I've noticed is that the people or the clients who stay consistent with health-orientated choices and behaviours uh, do have that appreciation. It's it's out of a it's a compassionate thing, you know. And, and as Shannon alluded to, um, you know, people think about compassion as oh, just being kind to yourself and like it's okay, you know, don't worry. But that's not actually what it is. It is about as Shannon said, respecting yourself and taking actions and behaviors that align with that. And I certainly think there is a lot of importance in screening 
and trying to see where someone is at when you commence coaching. And on that note, I wanted to pose a little bit of a scenario because, you know, there are times where I feel it's quite obvious where someone probably shouldn't work on dedicated fat loss. And when that happens, we can use, you know, things like motivation interviewing and other things to try and uncover what might be a more healthful, safe, protective and productive approach we could be more targeted towards health and feeling good and you know all that sort of stuff but there are some situations where admittedly i am quite stumped and i also am of the opinion that you can't force people to do something like if their heart is set on doing dedicated fat loss or something of that nature you know you can't really tell them no you can you know talk to them over time and uh, keep them safe and maybe they'll come around but you know that's still going to take a bit of time um, and the other side of the coin is if you say, no, I'm not doing that with you, which sometimes is actually what you need to do. They're probably going to go down to macro coach Steve down the road at any time fitness. He's going to give them, you know, 40% calorie to track your calories 365 days a year sort of thing. Now, I want to propose a little bit of a scenario because this is something that I've encountered. So you've got a client or an individual who wants dedicated fat loss. So they want to actively work on their body. They're not like dissatisfied with their body. Well, I guess they are a little bit. Their desires to improve their physique or change their physique is not down to health. It's a case of, well, I don't really like the way that I'm looking, but I'm a happy person. And it's my, my physique or my body is not stopping me from doing the things that I want to do. Like I'm not avoiding uh, my body. I'm not like super preoccupied with it. I just want to be leaner or more jacked because I think it looks better. And I think if I look a different way, I'll be, you know, I just, I just like that. Not even necessarily that'll make them happier. They're just the thing of, well, I just like that. So what would you sort of say to clients who come into the door with that scenario where it's not health focused, it is exclusively appearance based, but like I said, they don't have, they're not starting in a negative place. Like what is sort of the plan of attack? in those scenarios? I think this really comes down to coach discretion and what service you want to offer and what value you want to provide. So my answer is gonna be influenced by my coaching orientation where I want to, the whole reason I coach is that I want to help people to live better lives, right? And my personal value system, my personal belief is that changing someone's body, even if it can be safely done, which totally agree, there are definitely people out there who can approach fat loss and achieve these physique changes and not, you know, notice any harmful side effects that's definitely out there. But that's not what I want to help people with, because I don't see the value in it. So my discretion would be, that's cool, let me refer you to someone who can help you with that. You know, I know coaches who can coach fat loss and physique changes, in a body image informed way, and I'm sure you'll be taken care of. I want to reserve, personally, I want to reserve my coaching spots for people who are genuinely struggling and for people that I feel like I can make a big difference in their life because time-wise, I feel like that's the way I'm going to provide the most value. So that's a personal opinion. That's my preference. For coaches who are asking this question, why is it a problem? You know, if that's if the client doesn't have any sort of signs of disordered eating or other pathologies, why would that be problematic? Do you have an answer for that, Mac? Like, why is that something that you would even consider? Mm, should I do this or not? There seems to be a bit of ambivalence maybe on your part. Yeah, there is a lot. And it's it's definitely a big source of conflict. You know, should I not necessarily push clients into 
a, a targeted a, a phase of targeted physique change. But you know, should I, you know, not? Should I or should I not? That's a, a big source of conflict that sometimes experience. And there's also the side of things like, you know, personally, and this is also my own experience. I, I do honestly think that how you look can have an impact on your happiness. And that is independent of whether it's helping you do more things in your life or like, you know, whether your body is getting in the way of, you know, your enjoyment of life. Um, so it's sort of this thing of like by not pushing a client into all, or but rather facilitating nutrition interventions that are for fat loss. Like we're going to do a eight week period where the outcome that we're targeting is fat loss. You know, in my mind, I'm like, is this something that is putting someone at risk? Is it not addressing the root problem? Am I making things worse? Uh, um, and that's something that goes through my mind. So even though on the surface they don't have disordered eating, there's no like negative body image, although they, they honestly aren't super stoked with the way they look, you know, is it really something that is harmful or risky to be saying, you know, letting them do what they want to do, which is the fat loss thing. You know, should I be saying or trying to get them more in alignment with something that is like not focused on calories or macros? You know, there's no sort of portion control constraints. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I do think it is important for people to feel comfortable in their bodies and to be able to express themselves through their appearance. But there are multiple ways that we can do that. You know, we've sort of spoken about um, in private about like personal style, you know, and using like clothes as a form of expression. And the difference being between modifying your appearance in terms of like tattoos, clothing, hair dye, things like that, is that there's a lot less effort involved when it comes to achieving a physique goal. This is something, you know, in terms of monitoring your diet, if we're, it's to the extent where you kind of do need macros in order to be specific enough to get to certain levels of leanness, then are we just doing this for eight weeks and then what, you know, are you going to maintain that body or inevitably is your lifestyle going to change a little bit? What happens when you want to go traveling? What happens when you go on holiday or you get tired of macro tracking? What then? So I don't personally, again, I don't see much value in pursuing something if it's not going to be maintainable and sustainable because it's like, well, then we're just doing this for a short amount of time. Unless there's a goal in terms of a physique competition, that's a different thing. But for the general person who wants to achieve a physique goal, and then and then what after and I think as well maybe part of the ambivalence comes back down to do I have something better to offer this client so what I help clients with because I adopt the philosophy of um, REBT and that's what I've been trained in it's about promoting self-acceptance as a route to confidence as opposed to self-esteem that may be contingent upon how you look so a lot of people will experience what I consider a pseudo confidence boost in that their physique starts to change. They get complimented from other people, you know, and we feel good about that. We like getting the pump and we like seeing these changes, but it's fleeting. 
And what happens when your body's no longer changing or what happens when you start to like, everyone knows what you look like now. So nobody bothers to compliment you anymore. And when you get reliant upon that external validation, that can be problematic and risky. Whereas the alternative is this unconditional self-acceptance where you recognize that my worth as a person is not contingent upon the things that I do or how I look. And that goes as well for a lot of REBT is now being more widely adopted in sports performance and other high performance settings because of the pressure that people place on themselves to reach their goals. I'm successful if I win this powerlifting meet. Otherwise, I'm a total failure. You know, we see this in a lot of competitive sports because it's part of um, many personality traits that, you know, drive that perfectionism and that dedication. So unconditional self-acceptance is about recognizing my worth as a person is not contingent upon these things. I chase these goals because they add to my life, not because I'm trying to prove myself. And that would be my alternative for somebody seeking confidence from a physique. It's like, okay, what else do you want to dedicate yourself to? Something that might have more benefits, because as you say, the longer we go down that route of chasing an ideal body and micromanaging the food intake there is that risk of um, becoming more detached from your internal cues or choosing to override those internal cues you kind of have to right you have to kind of resist the hunger at certain points if you're going to reach depending on how extreme the physique is so there are risks involved in in that as well and there's more adaptive ways of eating that can improve again our quality of life so i think helping clients to see alternatives i think that's part of the issue that we face in the industry is it's kind of just like fat loss or you're an athlete like what are you going to do you can eat to lose weight and change your body or you can eat to support your sport like there's no sort of approach about eating to um, support your life and to um, other strategies to help develop that confidence that previously we've been looking for in an ideal body. Does that help to address the question a little bit? Yeah, it definitely does. And I really love that phrase of pseudo confidence because it's it's dependent on something. It's, it's something has to be there for you to feel confident. Whereas the sort of, I'm not sure exactly the phrase you used, but that more confidence, um, I think, is what I want to Stable say. Stable and non-contingent, yeah. Yeah, non-contingent, like that's where the goal really lies. Um, not a question, but just a comment I wanted to make is, I totally agree uh, in that, you know, what's the point of doing a dedicated fat loss phase if you're just going to be lean for a week and then, you know, you go back to your old phase and therefore your old body composition. So something that I think is absolutely imperative and really is like a non-negotiable with the way I like to coach clients is the development, like the habit building side of things. I think it is not always guaranteed to be a success, obviously, like there might be other eating, uh, like deeper issues uh, around maybe body image stuff even that, you know, would need to be addressed as well. But I think, you know, for me, things that have been really successful with clients that to give them tools that they can sort of use for life and help them create long-term changes. You know, it is, I think, partly an education thing, um, but also placing emphasis on the non-physique benefits they're getting from eating well, and that giving them more of a motivation to, or, or, or creating, I guess, connection with values that foster the desire to eat healthier long-term. And I think, you know, because uh, often a health-seeking diet is also one that aligns with a reasonably, you know, weight management and things like that when we think about calorie density, fruits and vegetables and stuff. 
I think that is the crux of a dietary intervention that has long-term benefits. Uh, not maybe not the crux, but a big part of it. Um, and I think if you, but with that being said, I'm not opposed to doing something for a short period of time that is unsustainable in the long run. I don't think a diet intervention needs to be sustainable forever. It's like a short-term phase, but I do think there needs to be things that you're building along that journey. So when the diet phase is finished, you have sort of things to utilize to leave you better off in the long run. So yeah, just a comment, not a question. No, no, and I agree with you. I definitely don't think that um, anything that we do with our diets has to always be maintainable. Um, I would just question if the sole reason then is to achieve a physique. Well, uh, the idea behind that is that the physique wants, they want to maintain that physique, right? If there were no sort of health benefits to chasing it, it was purely preference or just want to look different. It's like, okay, well, are you willing to do these things ongoing? Or is there a risk of your physique changing as you let go of some of these temporary practices? And if your physique's going to change, are you still interested in going through this process? Yeah, that makes sense. And yeah, I'm very much on the same page uh, as you, Mac, with, I guess, the coaching philosophy. Like for me, it's it's the philosophy is encompassed by eating to support a healthy lifestyle and support healthy body image. But I'm not opposed to, you know, putting clients through short-term periods of Fat loss, if I deem appropriate and suitable, if a client is going away and they wanted to uh, approach fat loss, you know, preceding their holiday, I'm happy to to put them through it as long as uh, as long as we don't get leaner than necessary, and I put them into a position where there may be you know longer term detriments to their body image and to their eating habits, etc. So. I mean, this comes back to, to screening the client and yeah, knowing when to, to draw the line, et cetera. But yeah, Mac, you also uh, brought up a point earlier. You mentioned compassion and uh, Shannon, you, you, you put up a post not long ago about self-compassion and I thought that was interesting. Um, could you please elaborate on that and speak about how we can use self-compassion, maybe how we can teach it from a coaching perspective um, to improve and to support, you know, a healthy lifestyle and healthy body image. Yeah, compassion is a really interesting one because there are different models of compassion that exist. And even when we look at the body image research that incorporates compassion-based interventions, they either draw from Kristen Neff's model or they draw from Paul Gilbert's model. And when I speak about compassion, I'm referring to Paul Gilbert's model because that's what I'm trained in. I'm a certified compassionate mind facilitator, which is um, based on his work. And this is important because there's different sort of theoretical um, underpinnings to what they conceptualize compassion to be, and therefore that informs the intervention. So the way that Paul Gilbert would define compassion, and I think that this is something that actually resonates with a lot of people, is essentially our sensitivity to distress and a commitment to alleviate and pre uh, prevent it. So it's being aware of when you're having a hard time and being motivated to do something about it. And the key characteristics of compassion, according to his model, are actually a whole lot more to do with courage, a caring commitment, and wisdom. 
that resonates with me a whole lot more than um, common humanity, mindfulness and kindness. Whilst there's a lot of overlap in that compassionate mind training does involve elements of mindfulness, it is that recognition that again, that you're not alone and it's not your fault. Um, but the way that he presents the model often helps people who really do need it because those who are very self-critical or experience a lot of shame around their body, if you say like be kind to yourself, not only is that vague and unhelpful, it's also a massive turnoff because we, those who need compassion the most, feel like they don't deserve kindness or they won't benefit from it. And they believe that actually it's the criticism that's helping me to um, maintain my high standards. And if I was to become compassionate towards myself, I feel like, as Max sort of said, I would let myself go. Whereas if we can see it as developing the qualities of courage, doing the hard thing, having the wisdom to know what's helpful and being committed to um, approaching your health in that way ongoing, that that's often a much more palatable way of introducing the concept of compassion. And when we look at the body image compassion-based interventions, um, we do find that with some of the more like meditations and things like that, there seems to be a fairly high attrition rate. And that's something to be aware of. Like, yeah, it can be helpful if someone does it, but a lot of people don't want to do that. Um, whereas if we're looking at developing compassion so these are some conversations that I've had with my supervisor about whether or not we should focus on developing compassion for the body for eating related concerns or developing compassion in general and then applying it to the areas that we need it the most because if we begin with some of the biggest things that someone struggles with that can actually activate the threat system turn people off essentially before they've developed skill to equip them to deal with that so that's something that I would be interested to see in the literature like moving forwards is actually just more like general compassion-based interventions that don't necessarily involve speaking about the body or how one feels about their appearance and then just measuring levels of body appreciation and seeing whether they change even without the direct mention of, of body image I mean that would be interesting um, as well as with Paul's model what we talk about are three different flows of compassion so yes you've got self-compassion that tends to be the one that's most difficult for a lot of people there's actually the ability for me to extend compassion towards you guys and there's the ability for me to receive compassion from either of you so there are three flows me to you you to me self to self and sometimes it can be helpful to work through the other flows first before turning it towards <clears throat> turning it towards ourselves and there are like writing based interventions that can help, but with those who don't sort of see the benefits in more of those sort of approaches, and they actually probably do need a more structured intervention where they do work through these different flows, these different fears and resistances and blocks to developing compassion. So like you say, I don't like the sound of compassion because I've got high standards and that's not going to help me, or I don't deserve to be kind to myself, all of those sorts of things. So I guess when it comes to developing compassion, 
question from a poaching perspective, this is really challenging. I think the best thing for most coaches would be to adopt a compassionate stance themselves rather than seeking to actively intervene with a client's level of self-compassion. Because if that's something that you're not trained in, again, that can be very difficult. I do think perhaps it could be helpful to offer things like um, body scans, like just having them as accessible for people or further resources that you can refer people to. Like I understand the importance of compassion. So here are some useful learning resources for clients that are interested, right? That's the most that I can promise you if I'm not trained in it. Um, I can offer you access to like writing-based exercises and um, body scans and breath practices, all those sorts of things. But I wouldn't seek to actively intervene in it unless it's something that you're trained in because of the difficulties that some people can have um, with developing compassion and it can actually end up making some people worse off if you're not sort of skilled enough to um, you know be able to actively intervene so that's one thing that I would say um, but you can go a long way just by expressing empathy for a client's struggles showing that you can accept them you know despite their difficulties because compassion is best developed through relationships right like being in a community that accepts you for sort of who you are where you learn that oh it is okay to you know maybe I can sort of learn to think about myself that way and that can be a good starting place from someone so I think rather than focusing on a client's level of self-compassion it can be helpful to think of am I practicing compassion in my interactions with this client um, and then again providing resources if that's something you want to help your clients to access just one quick point which I think is important for the listeners. When you're talking about body scans, we're not talking about the next stuff, right? We're talking about other yes. activities to foster compassion. I think that's an important thing. Yeah, it's more a mindfulness-based practice where you're sort of connecting um, with your body and you can do that through a guided audio. Yeah, definitely not getting in a DEXA, getting on a DEXA scan. <laughs> mm. Yeah, great points, Shannon. So just to reiterate, as a coach, our... It should be in our best interest to show compassion and show empathy uh, as opposed to intervening with a client's self-compassion um, if we aren't trained in, in the uh, area. I'd say that's the safest, yeah. Okay. I think okay. it definitely pays to be aware um, and to have some understanding you know, yourself as a coach, but being mindful of what you can actively intervene on depending on your specific skill sets. Got it. And are these uh, things that you're speaking about, so self-compassion, for example, are these things we can learn from your course? So maybe touch on, you know, the the contents of your course and, and briefly touch on the uh, point you brought up earlier in the conversation where you said uh, it's actually being tested empirically. I'd be interested to know a little more about that. Uh, and then we can go from there. Yeah, so the body image course for coaches will basically take you through the research base on body image. So what it is, how that can affect our eating behaviors and our motivations for exercise and to actually help you stay within your scope of practice. Because I think if you cannot recognize these concerns within clients, then it's very difficult to coach in a way that's safe. And the course itself is geared towards helping you to 
um, be able to enhance those protective factors. So like what we were sort of mentioning, it's possible to develop some components of a positive body image, which can be adaptive and protective, even in the absence of um, a negative body image in terms of the body dissatisfaction. So that's sort of what the course is geared towards. And I've ended up presenting it at a few different research labs to get some feedback, to get some um, advice on things to add, to adjust, and to ensure that the interpretations were accurate. And one of the research labs have actually ended up taking the course. And we had, I don't know the specific numbers because it's completely independent. So they've gone away and conducted the study themselves and are in that process of analyzing all the data. I get like little updates here and there, but I'm still waiting on the results as well. But from what they've um, filled me in on so far is that not only was the course like well received in terms of you know satisfaction of going through it ease of going through it the um how comprehensive it was and how easy to understand it was and um, we also tested for internalized um, bias in the sense of the coach themselves how they've internalize the um, fin ideal and whether that's changed as a result of going through the course and from what they've suggested we see levels of fin ideal internalization decrease um, so essentially the course probably will have a beneficial effect on your own personal body image and that's what I've seen from some of the feedback so far is coaches report that it's both personally and professionally beneficial in that it makes sense of a lot of things that they've been struggling to put together themselves um, and we also um, yeah so, so that's being presented in the fall so I have to wait again to hear more about the the results but it'd be very interesting to see what we find um, and some of the feedback of things to continue to add to the course um, but if it comes to compassion as I said, I'm also a certified compassionate mind training facilitator um, so I host training programs group-based training programs for anyone who wants to develop the skill of compassion and I think that's helpful again for coaches to really understand the theory behind it and it's for their own well-being yes it will help with your clients as well but actually it's it's a compassionate act for you to do that for yourself not just for the benefits that you're going to get um, in terms of your professional life so um, yeah those would be two different ways of learning about what we've discussed today great and just to finish up, uh, if anyone is interested in the course, how can they find out more about it? And yeah, where is the best place to find out more about you, Shannon? Yeah, so I'm quite easy to find on Instagram. It'll be Coach Shannon Beer, and it's the same for my website as well. So if you type in CoachShannonBeer.com, you'll find my website, which has the Body Image Fundamentals course on there. Awesome. Well, thanks for today. I think that was a very productive discussion, and I'm sure that the listeners um, will take a lot away from it. So thanks. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks, Mac.